I look cute today. Oh, good. You I'm always do. Thank you. I love when you say that because it's such an easy softball for me. <laughs> I could just be like, yeah, handsome. Uh, thanks for finally getting on board. <laughs> I've known for you know quite what? some time. Unplanned cold open, but here we are. Okay, hi. Hi, Julian Pensavalli. <laughs> hey, Patrick Hines. Um, fam, hey, cutie. Hey, hey hottie. Hey, good looking. <laughs> fam, couple of things. Our next live show on our on our spring summer live show tour. Yes. Saturday, July 22nd, we're coming to DC. After that, August 9th, we're in Seattle. After that, August 4th, I'm in London for my book party. Right. My traveling book party. I'm doing it at a little club in Soho, so please come see me. And then we're gonna be in LA. And then we're yes, I didn't say all the TCO dates. So I was like, wait a second. <laughs> after Seattle, we go to LA and then we go to in New York, right. and then we're doing Obsessed Fest. Okay, amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can barely keep track. I need you to remind me every week because I, I never I know, know. know what oh, you know we're I going will. to. <laughs> Girl, what are we talking about today? Okay, we are talking about A Murder in Mansfield. It's yeah. a documentary, and it's about our friend Collier Landry. So here's the deal, fam. Collier Landry is a survivor. He yes. is a co-host of a podcast called Survivor Squad, which he makes with Tara Newell. She is the responsible for taking down Dirty John her Meehan. and her dog. She killed him in a parking garage. Like She's the most badass woman. And they became our friends through the podcast world. Yeah. They are coming to Obsessed Fest. <laughs> They're going to do a live podcast taping. They're going to do a Q&A. They're taking all your questions. Yesterday, we had a meeting. They're like, we want to do anything. They're going to play the games and the family feud and They're all so of that fun. stuff. But also, I did an interview with Collier that's live right now in the regular feed. So you can listen to this episode and then go listen to my interview with Collier. We talk about all the other elements of this case that were left out that didn't quite make it into the movie. It's really kind of fascinating. Collier wasn't believed initially that his dad killed his mom. Initially, this was treated as a missing persons case. We talk about all of that, and you can listen to that interview right now. It's live on the regular feed. One of the things I've always been interested in my life about, ever since you murdered my mother, is the collateral damage of violence. I've always wanted to do something positive with this tragedy. And... I came to town to reach out to friends and family that I have never really spoken to about this and to reconnect with them because my family had been so fractured by this violence. But I think the first step was my quest to heal myself. All right, so, you know, it's 1990, and we're jumping right in. Can I go back for a second? Yeah. Sorry. Please. This is directed by Barbara Koppel. Yes. She directed a documentary. You're going to be like, what are you saying? She directed Harlan County, USA. Oh. Which is, like, a super—it's is as important as it is super fucking depressing. What is it? It's about the coal miner strike in Kentucky in 1973. Oh, my God. But it's about, like, workers' rights. But she spent, like, years making this. It came out in 76, 77. So she's been doing this for a long time. Well, loves her. He's yeah. so proud of this documentary. He's so proud of his work with Barbara. They toured for like a year and a half yeah, yeah, yeah. when this came out. Yeah. Like he loves her. She's amazing. The documentary is incredible. Yeah. It's very intimate, but also very hands-off. Yeah. We'll get into all of it. All right. Okay, well, sorry. it's 1990 and we jump right in. There's no coming up on. There's not the usual. I I, only, I watched like the first five minutes being like, when are we going to, when's the coming up on going to be over? Yeah. Nope. That We're just jumping in. You know what we also don't start with, which I feel like we've been starting with every time? What? A 911 call. I know. Wait, we go right to the trial. 
trial. Yep, yep. We're right at the trial. Yes. And so it's the trial of Dr. John Boyle. He's accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so this is Collier's mother. Yes. And the motive was so that he could move in with his pregnant girlfriend, Sherry. Who is? So all of the people outside the courthouse, 1990, get your act together. It's one of those things where this was like the biggest, hottest ticket in town, this murder trial. There's a lot of people saying things without really hearing themselves in this documentary. Such as the Boyle murder trial is so hot, you'll find a television monitor outside the jam-packed Richland County courtroom. That many people want to see it. It's actually better than a soap opera because it happened right in our own town. It's just like a movie. It's like a movie. I'm like, right, but it's not a movie because it, the real things happen to real people. So it's not Somebody a movie. says that like the court was so packed that they would they were taking t- like closed circuit TVs and putting them out like on the like on the steps. Yeah. You don't have to do that, court. No. You know what I mean? Like you could just say it's open to the public and when the, when it's full, it's full. Right. And like you don't have to perpetuate the drama of it all. Because also having it be on TV makes it feel like it's a soap opera. Would, like I subconsciously, know. it must add to that. And when that woman said that, like it's not a movie. No. It's a real thing no. that happened to real people. I also like one of the things I like that they do in this documentary is they sort of give you the. It, this is a story about Collier going back and sort of like you know for the first time ever like talking to his friends and family that were affected by the murder in, in much in the same way that he was. Yeah. But they give us the story of what happened to his mother and the trial a little bit at a time, which yes. I think is interesting. And so we're with the jury right now. Like, we're in the courtroom watching the jury watch the video of Collier's mom, Noreen, being sort of exhumed from the grave that the dad put her in. Right. We also see 12-year-old Collier Landry, who is maybe the best witness I've ever seen testify. So I can say this because I know Collier. He's a little ham. Yeah. He's a little ham on the witness stand. He has no fear. He's so excited to be testifying against his fucking dad. He's so smart. He's also been prepped very well. He retained everything. Yes. Like, he knows when to turn to the jury and speak to them. We'll get back to that. Yes. But at first, I was like, this is like watching a 40-year-old on the stand. And then I was like, no, (laughs) because this is better than 40-year-olds I've seen on the stand. He is just so together. And, like, he's there with such purpose as a 12-year-old. It's interesting. Like, one of the things that Collier has told me that isn't really in the documentary is that, like, people didn't believe him that his dad killed his mother. So that, like, I believe there was, like, a 30-day window between when his mom was killed and when the body was found. And Collier says that, like, initially people didn't... So he's here, and I think he's feeling vindicated. Of course. On the stand. Not only does he get to testify against his piece-of-shit dad, but, like, he was right the whole time. Right. And you can hear from the jury, like, he's also charming. Yes. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but he is because he, why wouldn't you be allowed to call him? I don't, charming? I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> I'll like, call him good looking. He's also as he's, a grown man, he's very attractive. You know, like he's just, but like he as a little kid, as a 12 year old, you're he, like he's disarming too because they're yeah. like. And just to make you a little familiar with the courtroom, we have the microphones here, and just speak up. And oh, right at the microphone. <laughs> The jury, almost they laugh almost in spite of themselves yeah. because they can't believe this fully formed person who just went through one of the most traumatic things you can go through yeah. is so clearly talking about what happened and his experience and testifying against his father who's yeah. in the room. And I don't mean to like keep reiterating it or, or like saying the same thing again, which is what reiterating means. Sure. <laughs> But, like, I think that because he wasn't believed that he knew, he woke up and heard his dad killing his mother. And, like, it was also, I think, portrayed as just, like, um, she ran away for a while. And, like, he knew the whole time the truth. And now he gets to sit and tell it. And he feels proud and vindicated to get to do so. Right. 
He's on the stand talking about his mother and yeah. he explains their relationship, which was like really cute and sweet. They were always together. They watch movies. He was her little shopping buddy. They were together all day, every day. We get so much of this later. Like he knows all about like ladies' handbags. Like his the mom designer likes. labels. Because we learn like she enjoyed the finer things in life. For and sure. like their life was a very privileged life where like money was no object. And so yeah. he knew about like Louis Vuitton and I all mean, this stuff as a 12-year-old boy. Chanel, I know. But that was not the case with his father. His dad was never around. And Collier says he was scared of his dad. He says, like, I spent 1% of the time with my dad, 99% with my mom. Right. Like, we're going to find out later, too, that the, the dad was, like, really physically and verbally and emotionally abusive to him. To every living creature in that house. To get to, like, sit there and, like, put the fucking literal nail in the coffin for the dad. Like, to get to, like, really speak right. your truth to him must have been terrifying, yeah. I can only imagine. But also, that's why that's why he's got a smile on his face. Exactly. You know? Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like also just as a, t- like, I again, I know 40 year olds who would be terrified to do this. I mean, like going to court and facing your, facing like your attacker, your your abuser yeah. or like the guy who killed your mother right. or all of the above yeah. would be absolutely terrifying. And I'm not saying he's this unicorn and he wasn't scared. I'm not like yeah. assigning him that. Of course, I'm sure there were nerves there, but he just comes across as this well-prepped, well-read, well-spoken. Which is also wild because we're going to learn that his entire fucking family abandons him. Abandon- that's so like where crazy. did he get this like sense of self because his family like oh right. my god. Like his mother. Right. Right. That's where he got it. Right. So Collier tells us the story of the night of the murder from his point of view. He awoke yeah. at 3.15. <laughs> Everyone with a 12-year-old? I know. When was the last time Everyone they said, Everyone with a 45-year-old? <laughs> when was the last time I said that? I awoke at 3.15. He says, As I awoke, I looked at the clock, and it said it was between 3 and 3.15 a.m. Is there any reason why you woke up rather than just stay there and sleep? Because I heard a scream coming from my sister. Because the immediate thought I had was something was wrong with my mother. And about a little while later, maybe about three minutes, maybe, I heard a thud. Three minutes later, he hears a thud and he like demonstrates. He the recreates thud. it like on the stand. Yeah. They ask him, like the prep oh, that they must yes. have gone through with him is is flawless. Then he hears another thud and he says, I was just absolutely petrified. I was scared to death. And they ask him, like, did you get up and investigate? And he says, No. And they ask him why not. And it's because he was extremely afraid of his father. And this is when, so he's talking to the prosecutor, his lawyer, and the lawyer's questioning him. Yeah. And when the lawyer says, like, why didn't you go to investigate? Collier stops and he turns to the jury and looks directly at them and says, because I was very afraid of my father and I always have been. He knew exactly when to turn and make eye contact with the jury. Can you imagine as a juror how effective that I, would That's be? what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I feel like I'm talking about it a lot, but we have watched a lot of trials and a lot of people testify and a lot of kids. Yeah. And this is just, this must be like, oh my God. Yeah. How do you not he, like hear him in every sense. It's true. You know? And he says like he he eventually falls asleep even though he knows something horrible has happened. Yeah. He's too afraid to get up and 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 investigate it. Right. So he wakes up at 8:30 the next morning. He immediately runs to his mother's room where like this image is so vivid. Yes. He says he saw that the covers were pulled back like a body had been pulled out. And he's like that is not the normal way my mom would get out of bed. She's fabulating in her in her gorgeousness. She has that one move she, like totally, layer all the birds <laughs> and the little chipmunks from outside They come. fly in with her bathrobe. Yeah. yeah. And like, I believe it because that's, we, we even hear from so many people around town like, you saw her and she her hair was never out of place. She yeah. was always dressed to the nines. Like, she is the kind of person who like, doesn't get out of a bed or she doesn't let her bed be unmade for too long. Exactly. You know, even when she exactly. gets out, she would like, put it back. Like, everything had a place. Yeah, and she, he says, And so I went downstairs and I said, where's my mother? 
to my father, and he said, well, Mommy took a little vacation, Collier. And then I just, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I just panicked. And so I said, and he said, she'll be back in a few days, and then she just left. You think he's going to believe that? Like, they have such a close, tight relationship. At least come up with, like, a believable fucking story, you idiot. He's a smart kid. Totally. You can't get the vacation line by him. Give no. me a break. And so the dad says she'll be back in a few days. You know, he tells us the, the night of December 30th, the previous night, was the last night he ever saw her. So now the killer, Collier's father, is on the stand. And he tells his side of the story, which, which is bullshit. Which is like, what a move. Like, I feel like, don't they not usually take the stand because then they get, like, ripped apart on cross? That doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen Like, they softball this guy. Yeah, they do. So, his story is that he was sleeping on the couch, like always. Noreen, Collier's mother, comes in, wakes him up, starts screaming at him, is throwing credit cards at him, then is done having her tantrum, turns around, walks out of the house. The killer goes to get his glasses so he could see her better. (laughs) By the time he's back outside, he sees Noreen drive away. So, she came in, threw a fit, threw shit at him. In someone else's car. She gets in a car and drives off. Also, on top of that, he denies everything he didn't killer he had nothing to do with it he didn't hire anyone like he's just but swearing up and down you know who doesn't care the jury yeah <laughs> because fuck that he's they not guilty <laughs> they convict his ass right we the jury in this case find the defendant john f boyle jr guilty of the offense as charged in the indictment the judge said he would tolerate no outbursts in the courtroom but they cheered in the hallway when dr john boyle was found guilty of killing his wife noreen And they said there was cheering in the hallway. Right. So now we jump to 26 years later and it's Collier, like grown up. It's wild to see him because he's grown up now and we've just seen him like the charming, funny little boy on the the stand. And he also looks very different today, today, 2023 today than he does when this came out. Like he's modeled. He's acted. He's a good looking guy. He knows how to find his light. He can smize. He's good in front of the camera. The camera loves him. He's good to the crew, I'm sure. He's just like good to have around. <laughs> but he's on this look. He's come home to begin the journey of sort of like healing the the wound the best he can of the murder of his mother by his father. Yeah. Now he's on the local radio station with a guy named Rusty Cates. <laughs> this guy, I wrote, I said, Rusty's in a great mood. Yeah, it's a great name, Rusty yeah, Cates, totally. whatever. But the station is WMAN. And I know because it's Mansfield, <laughs> but it feels like a men's rights station oh, or some shit. <laughs> it's like, Collier, what are you doing oh, on WMAN? Oh, Mansfield, right. It took me a second, but I was like, W-M-A-N. Also, Rusty reminds me a little bit of, like, Jerry from Parks and Rec. He's just, like, that kind of happy-go-lucky. He goes, you know, of course we all remember you from that horrific murder trial, but what are you up to these days? Yeah, but he's got Chrissy Brinkley waiting at home. Some hot dish. I mean, it, like it, the the tone is just a little. It, he wants it to be like a like a like a nice heartwarming right. interview. Because Collier, I'm sure, walks. In, he's all smiles. We see yeah. him walk into a lot of rooms yeah. to t- greet people, and like he is disarming because it's very like, no, I know we're here to talk about that thing, but we don't have to talk about that thing the whole time. Like I we know. can like be nice and personable. How many people have we like? Obsessed Fest is a good example of like yeah. survivor. There's a lot of survivors there, sure. and, but like they're also like having a drink and telling a funny story, like. Right. People contain multitudes, as yes, they say. Yes, it's true. A lot of nuance here. Collier says, you know, he's a cinematographer and director living in Los Angeles. And this, obviously, it's his personal story. And ever since the time the murder happened, he says, What I'm most interested in is the collateral damage and the consequences of violence and secondary trauma, you know, and the impact that these types of things, these violent acts have on 
you know, not only on like immediate family members and friends, but communities. I mean, look, it's almost 27 years ago and people are still talking about it. Let's go to the phone. We have a call. Hi, you're on the air. I am so glad to hear that Collier is doing He well. wants to try to find some good that comes out of these tragedies. Right. And he's talking about, like, friends, family, communities, like how yes. it just really has a very large ripple effect. And Rusty goes, okay, great, let's go to the phones. Yeah. And <laughs> everyone's calling him to say hi to Collier and I wish know. him well and just remind him the community hasn't forgot about him because L.A. is a long way from Mansfield. Right. And, like, it's just a reminder that, like, when this happened in Mansfield in 1990, it was, like, the biggest thing. And, like, this little boy, this charming little boy, left a big made a big impact on, on, the, on the town and like he's moved on with his life and obviously he's never forgotten the murder but like these people have never forgotten him right and I think he was a major part of that guilty verdict for sure you know for obviously sure. the evidence was there but like he's incredibly compelling and telling the truth by the way yeah so there's that. and he says like he always wanted to do something positive with this tragedy so he's back home trying to reach family and friends that he's never really gotten to talk to about this stuff and then he goes to the house where he grew up, a.k.a. the scene of the murder. Yeah. Now, the scene of the murder is not the scene of where the body was dug up. Yes, that's so, right. I, I conflated it. No, no, right? no. You're right. He, the, She was murdered in this house. Right. And then, I think, moved the body to the Erie, Pennsylvania house. Right. They don't really get into it, but I just wanted to make that point. Yes. But he also goes to his, like, the house he grew up in unannounced. Well, or does he? <laughs> you know my theory on this. Collier, be honest, Listen, let us girl. know. But, you know, he asks the people living there if he can come come in and he's like hi there um i have a question for you my name is collier landry i grew up in this house when okay. I, and um i just wanted to see if we could come in for like maybe five minutes and um just like in like my old bedroom and all that well, if that's cool um that's cool if you don't mind just taking your shoes off we, well yes of course of like course they're like yes take your shoes off <laughs> now Dude, can I just say one thing? Are people like this, they live in a constant state of readiness? Like, the house isn't messy. There's no dishes in the sink. No, There's it's no... because the documentary <laughs> called, called them. They had to sign the release. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They had to tell them why. It's not like this is my childhood home and nothing bad ever happened here. I know. They need to know. Also, this is why you don't have a white carpet. I... Oh. Because she's obsessed with taking shoes off. Oh. But, like, you have to kind of know, like, the history of the house, why yeah. Collier's coming. You have to be home. I mean, because... If you didn't know that somebody was killed there, like, that would be an upsetting thing to find out. Now, what they don't tell us, because eventually they just start talking about it, but, like, who told them and when? Uh Uh-huh. And these are great. They're very kind. They're very welcoming people. Oh, my God. They're, like, huggers. They've got kids. They're going to, like, be friends with Collier the rest of their... Like, they say later, like, you're welcome anytime. It's very sweet. Because they're not just inviting Collier in. They're inviting in the entire camera crew. Like, it's one thing to say, like, sure, stranger, you can come, like, look around. But, oh, you're bringing in, like, cameras and light people? That's why this call happened two weeks ago. (laughs) You took all the fun out of it. It's still still compelling. I'm sorry, everybody, but Collier, back me up. It's true. And if I'm wrong, great. I love being wrong. It's like, also like, he's just like walking through the house saying like, I have such fond memories of my mother here, but also horrendous memories of abuse by my father. Right. And he tells the story like in the room that was the computer room growing up, he was like playing a computer game. Now, look, I've got a nine-year-old who like when we let her is on the iPad as long as she will be. She'll be in the kitchen. We'll be in the living room. It's like one big room in my apartment. Mm-hmm. Like you have to put headphones on or else like we can't hear our show. Co- young Collier is so mindful of this. He's playing a computer 
computer game in another room and he's turning it down and disconnects the speaker so that his dad isn't isn't disturbed watching his movie. He's walking on eggshells yes. every second of the day and as his a kid. fucking piece of shit dad comes into the room and is like, why doesn't the computer work? And before Collier can explain, I took the, the speakers out so as not to disturb you. The dad's thrown him to the ground. He's like hitting him with the plug, throwing the video games at his face. Then he started making me call myself a stupid little fat boy, making me run around all over the house. So he would say, what are you? And, I, and I'd say, a stupid little fat boy. He says, what are you? And I said, a stupid little fat boy. And you say even louder, he says, what are you? And I said, a stupid little fat boy. And then he would ask Collier, like, what are you? And make Collier say it back to him. Like, that is so fucking cruel. I don't understand why people like this have kids, unless the point of having kids is to abuse them. Right. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of it stems from, I agree with you completely, but I think a lot of it stems from, like, sorry to get on my soapbox, but, like, society, where it's like, you have to get married, you have to have a job, you have to have kids, you have to have a family. And a lot of people go through the motions, but they don't really look inward and decide if they want it or not. Because this piece of shit killer, like, (laughs) didn't want a wife, because all he does is cheat on her. He didn't want a kid, because all he does abuse him. Right. What on earth? And not saying if you made the choice to not have a family, it's because right. you knew you would abuse them. I'm just saying, I think those like societal pressures yeah. can lead to things like this because like he, it was just like, he's the man. This is what he does. You know, yep. that stupid, like heteronormative nonsense. But then he takes us to his bedroom and he says like, he remembers waking up that morning at 318 and he remembers hearing his father's footsteps. And he has this moment where he's like, I remember thinking, don't look up, don't look up, don't look up. Cause I don't want my dad to know I'm awake and I'm hearing yeah. the murder. And he says, if I let my dad know that I was awake, I don't think I'd be here now. Yeah. I think my dad would have killed yeah. me too. Yeah. Can you imagine living with that? No, no, I, I really, I can't. And so, I think that's why what he was saying really resonated with people because he lived this very violent, scary life. And like this is sort this sort of comes out in little bits and pieces throughout the documentary. Like how much his dad was a ticking time bomb. Yes. Yes. His whole life. Yes. God, I mean, like this is what I talk about. Like, I don't like dads. My dad was kind of my dad was never abusive. He never hit us or anything like yeah. that. But he was my dad was like his own kind of monster. And like that's why I'm afraid of dads. Like I remember feeling this way about my dad. Yeah. Being like all eggshelly around my dad. Like I we I didn't see him after I was like. 10 or something. Yeah. Thank God my mom got us the hell out of there, you know? But, like, I get it. I totally I totally get it. Yeah. I hate that because I, dads can be horrible, but they can be great. I mean, I also am a dad. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'm also not like You're that. married to a dad. <laughs> I'm also How married to a dad. How dare you? <laughs> Somewhere Steve's, like, doing the math. Wait a second. Wait a second. I'm also a dad. Collier goes into his parents' bedroom. This was my mother's bedroom where she took her last breath. It's almost like I feel her presence a little bit right now. Not to sound hooey dewy about things, but not to be all hooey dewy about it. Collier, <laughs> be as hooey dewy as you want. We're all friends here. You I know. know I love the hooey dewy. Thriving in your hooey dewyality. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's hooey do it. Dewey that. Hooey dewy in the news yeah. and everything. <laughs> There's just, like, so much great energy around his mother. Like, he doesn't want it to all be, like, sad and doom and gloom. It's there, but, like, she was so lively. Because, like, he is also talking to the current homeowners who may or may not have known that somebody was killed in that house. Like, please confirmation that they knew two weeks ago and they had time to deal with this. I know, I know. Instead of being like, oh, is that your kid's room? Would that change? I don't know that that would really change anything for me. No, but I'd like to know if yeah. a, the 12-year-old who was on the stand. Right. Like, if they if they grew up in that town, yeah. they m- might have known that story. That's true. So, I don't know if they just, like, came from... 
Also, like, where'd you get the name Collier? I need to. I I'm gonna. Know. I'm gonna ask him that for Collier the interview. Collier Landry. It's a great name. <laughs> it's a, such a it's, good it's name. It's one of those names where like they only go together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It just makes sense. Collier Hines doesn't work. <laughs> but if your name's Collier Hines, it looks great on you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> when Noreen was murdered, Collier went into foster care, and he explains how like he lost his house, his mother, his father, his dog, like his father because his father did this horrible thing. The dog, you know, his family. He's totally alone, and then. We learn about Elizabeth. I mean, this is so wild. And Elizabeth was Collier's sister. She was newly adopted from Taiwan, and she had just turned three when Noreen was murdered. Yes, and we don't know. I'm going to get this in our in our interview. I don't know how long Elizabeth had been, been with the family. They say newly adopted. Yeah. I don't really know what that means. And she goes by Caitlin now. So yes. As far as we know. As like, far we as we never know. I have, there are so many people in this documentary I want to yell at. Like Lynn? Can, let's talk about Lynn. <laughs> so the day before <laughs> Collier's father was arrested, Collier yeah. and... And then Elizabeth were taken by Children's Services and brought to the school principal's house. And her name is Lynn Riggenbach. To which I said, oh, my God, hero. Good for her. No. Hold tight. Oh, were you no. really making assumptions here? How very dare you. I know, I know. Because the school principal turns out to be a fucking raging monster yeah. because Collier says... <laughs> I hope she's a pain of the five. Fuck I you. I hope she's not. Keep your five dollars. I don't want your fucking dirt money. Get out of here. Garbage money. I know, I know. I couldn't agree Keep more. Keep it away from I know, me. I know. The Riggenbox only really wanted Elizabeth. And so they ended up only adopting her. And I was awarded custody to another family. Then they changed her name from Elizabeth to Caitlin and basically removed her from my life. It takes her two seconds, this garbage principal, to realize, no, 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 their family only wants Elizabeth. Yeah. So they adopted Collier's sister, not Collier, yes. separated them. Yes. These kids who just went through a traumatic experience. Collier goes to another family and we will get back to that. Yes. These people. The, the rig and box. The rig and box. The fucking garbage idiots. The garbage, the garbage rig and box the, of Mansfield. Oh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> I make it a musical. The garbage <laughs> rig and box of Mansfield. Let's not give them any more attention. Let's make okay. a Collier musical. <laughs> totally. And then this will be like the dark. Like it's called the, Landry. Oh. <laughs> but then I'm going to think it's about Friday Night Lights. We'll Wait, workshop it. How do you say his last name? Landry. <laughs> There was a laundry joke, and I'm going to get in trouble for it, but you know what? It was worth it. Whatever. It was worth Who cares? it. <laughs> so these people changed Elizabeth's name yeah. to Caitlin, totally cut all ties to Collier and her family. And as he says, she he, they basically removed her from her life and, like, gave her a new identity. And he says, over the years, I've reached out to her time and time and time again, but to no avail. He hasn't spoken to her in almost 26 years. And that was back in 2017 when this was made. What did the Riggenbox tell her about him? Oh, my God. Like, why Maybe would they, nothing. Why would they? But then why wouldn't she call him back? Like, I, know. I know she was just a kid, but I want to yell at grown-up Elizabeth. Or Caitlin or whoever. Yes, yes. So, and Collier, so Collier, we're back on the stand, and yes. Collier testifies that Elizabeth, Caitlin, always crawled into bed with their mother every single night. And she now, was three. Again, they say newly adopted, so we don't know. Maybe she's only lived in this house for a couple months. Yeah, that and we don't she's, know. And, like, she's really bonded to the mom, and that's the safe place. But Collier says... She had to have been there when it happened. And my heart was just breaking for her because she... Because I believe that she had witnessed the murder. I had got into a conversation with Lieutenant Mesmore, the chief investigator, and he was telling me that she said, Guga's daddy came in and hit mommy on the head and wrapped her up like a snowman. This little girl said, you know, my brother's daddy came in and hit my mom on the head and wrapped her up like a snowman. Well, it's important what she actually said, which is like Gaga's yeah. daddy. And we learn later that Gaga is a, the Chinese word for, for brother. brother. Yeah. And so, like, he's Collier is saying there's no 
way anybody would have known that she called me that. Right. So it's proof that she was actually there because she gave that. And that she said that. Yes, yes, exactly. So... You know, Collier's reached out to Caitlyn many, many, many times. He never hears back from we her. We see him leaving her a voicemail again now. Yeah. And it's fucking hard. Call him back. And the, and the voicemail is as if he's never spoken to her ever, which yeah. he kind of hasn't. Right. Because he says like, hey, it's, uh, I don't know if you remember me, I, we used but to it's be, Collier. We used to be brother and sister oh like a God. really, really long time ago. And I just wonder like how long it's been since he's tried. Like that must be so taxing like, yeah. to try and try and try and get nothing back from your sister. And eventually, I mean, and I get it, like, she was a kid, she doesn't owe him anything, she doesn't, I'm sure she remembers none of this, and like, what, like, I get it, I'm not mad at her, but it is just like, like, this kid loses everybody. Right, and like, what did they do to her? I know. To make her see, like, what were they saying to her, or what were they, like, is Collier just, like, in in her world, like, some weirdo who, like, she needs to stay away from, some stalker? like, adopt them both, Collier wasn't, like, a bad kid, it's not like like he was, like, a troublemaker, you know what I mean? Like, this kid is suffering. Yeah. Like he would put on shows when he had dinner parties. Where's the harm in that? Exactly. I'm assuming. So we meet David Messmore and he's the lead investigator and Collier really, really bonded with Dave and Susan Messmore. So like they're still alive and he goes to see them and I just said thank fucking God. I know. That he had somebody. And like he even says the Riggenbox when I was still living with them were more than happy to let me go spend time with the Messmores because all they cared about was Elizabeth. And also so that's fucking weird. That is awful. Why do they only want the little girl in the house? I know. Like, what is happening? I said, I'm sorry. They sound like fucking monsters. They're fucking monsters. And so, you know, he says that it w- when he would go to the Messmores, it was the only time he felt like he could really be himself. And so we're sitting down with Dave and Susan, who are like still with us. Susan looks like a million fucking dollars. Yeah, yeah. My God. And Coll- like they're just reminiscing. And Collier was always with his mother, and she spoke to him like an adult. Yeah. So like that's how he became the way he was on the stand. But because of that she would talk to him like they were ladies who, who were lunching. I mean, this is so funny. Because he would ask like borderline inappropriate questions like, Mrs. Messmore, how many Louis Vuitton purses do you have? And I can remember looking at you going, oh my gosh, this little boy knows about Louis Vuitton. <laughs> and I can remember you one time asking about um, our income. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, how many Louis Vuittons do you have? She's like, like do you how remember? much money do you make? How much did you pay for this house? <laughs> Is that Gucci? Yeah, and they're like laughing about it now. She's like, I will never forget the time you asked me about my Louis Vuitton bag. I know. I will never forget it. And you it. can tell he's kind of a little bit embarrassed like, about oh, it. Because he today. just knew about, like, he just knew about these things, which I just think is so funny. Right. And, like, he also loved being at the Messmores because he got to be a kid. Like, they yes. really just let him be who he was. And they really wanted to adopt Collier. Yes. But the judge said no because Dave Messmore was the lead investigator on the case. And they said it wouldn't be appropriate for Collier to be adopted Can by the family. we just let this kid have a fucking home? They also tell this horrifying <laughs> story that in mid-1990, Collier's dad wanted to take him on a trip to Florida. And Collier immediately called the Messmores and was like, uh, if you let my dad take me to Florida, he's going to kill I'm me. I'm never coming back. And they, like that's not like childlike hyperbole. No, no, the no. Mesmores are like absolutely. You would have like you would have gone missing in the Everglades. Yeah, like that's part of their reminiscing. Remember that time that your dad tried to kill you? Like, but that's how openly scary this guy was. Like, he wasn't trying to hide the fact that he was a violent person. And I that know. He was scary. I know. You know. And then like when when the judge won't let him be adopted by the Mesmores, he was keeping a diary at the time, and he reads from it now. And his entry ends. That he's being placed with a family called the Ziegler's. Yeah. Thank God they end up being fucking awesome. They were great. And they're here. But he's like trying to be hopeful in this diary entry. And he's like, I hope when I live with the Ziegler's, it will be a happy home for me. 
My counselor told me that she believes in happy endings. I don't. I don't. How? Why would he? At 12 years old. Because his father is is a monster. His mother has been brutally killed. The family that accepted his sister, adopted his sister, doesn't want, want anything him. to do with him. And she's the fucking school principal, by the way. Let's have her in charge of a bunch of fucking kids. <laughs> totally. I hate this woman. <laughs> then the, 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 two, the two people who love him and, and let him express himself and be who he is. Nope. The judge says no. I can't so at this it. point, it's like he's then at a breaking point. Then the fucking point. rule judge, my God. Have someone else investigate. Why? Because he's the lead investigator. Can he be like the second lead? I'm sure Dave Messmore would have been like, I'll do anything. And like the case is wrapped up in like 28 days or something. Like give the kid a chance. <gasps> Who cares? Because even Sue is like, Sue, I'm sorry. Like, I know you, Sue. Susan Messmore is like, we were heartsick, and I believe it. So he's placed with the Ziegler's, and we meet them. They're here, too. I said they seem a little tough lovey, but awesome. Well, they say as much. But Collier, of course, has been through fucking hell and back. So he's super honest about not wanting to live there. But the thing that that really struck me about this is that when they were talking about, like, they they were really happy that Collier could stay in the community, that he knew everybody there. that was why they took him in, and they fucking legally adopted him. Him. But the thing is, I'm like, well, what about the principal who adopted his sister? Because she's in the community. Wouldn't she just move away and stop being the principal of that school? Right. Wasn't she his principal? So like, so right. Like, so they're fuck still you. They're still growing up in the same town, but he's like not allowed to see his sister. Is my guess. This we'll is, have to ask him. And I know that like three year olds aren't really going to grade school and high school. I yeah. understand that. But like, was she still? Did she quit her job? Like I she's know. in this community that the Ziegler's were so. A part of. A part of, and wanted Collier to stay a part yeah, of. Yeah, that's a great question. Shut up, Lynn. But I, <laughs> I hate her. I but Collier seems very happy. We see a video of him on Christmas morning, and he's opening presents, and he he just seems great. And, you know, the, the family, like, the Ziegler's tell the story. It, it was sort of like Jack and Noreen had a picture-perfect life. Yeah. Here they lived in this cute little house. He was a doctor. She always dressed beautifully. Uh, her hair was never yeah. out of place. Um And when he came to our house, we felt that um, he wasn't allowed to get dirty. (laughs) And so go out and play, you know? And he didn't know what that was to go out and play and get dirty. He didn't know what that was. When he was at the Ziegler's, they're like, go out and play and get dirty. And it took him a while, but he eventually warms up. And, like, thank God, finally, he's got, like, some stability. Yeah. And these people are still around. And he's, like, in in their house. And he still, like, loves them and is close with them. And it's like, thank fucking God he landed somewhere safe. Yes. Because it could have gone the other way. Of course. This kid had everything taken away from him. Everything. And he even says, like, he calls them, like, the best kind of silver lining. Because they were a wonderful family. He was heartbroken about the Messmores, of course, because that was his idea. Deal. But he was like, I was really happy with the Zieglers. But the Zieglers break my heart again because they say we really tried to have Collier keep the relationship with his family. Yeah. And we're talking about like his mother's side of the family, like her sister and brother who sort of would call every now and then. And like on Christmas, they would come down Only and have a the, meal. They would like... Noreen's sister called on holidays for the first couple of years. Like, I don't get it. Now, I have to say, this happens all the time. Like, kids go through a tragedy and adults don't know how to deal with it. I've seen it happen. It's happened to people I love that are very close to me where the stories are, this tragic thing happened when I was eight and then everyone abandoned me, even the the fucking brother of that person or the sister of that person who was lost. So, like, people just don't know how to deal with grief and they do not know how to deal with kids who are also grieving and it is so fucked up. It's just, like, once again, like, like, 
like his mother was his whole world yeah. and they would be the only remnants left of that for him and they just ab- abandoned him I, and I'm not saying you gotta adopt him although I, I would like although you know what I mean although you could have uh-huh. but like to just like to just vanish from his life right to not make sure that he has a connection to his mother and yeah. that side of her family I don't like why like you should all be in this together the killer's the enemy yes and now you're all going to make sure that Noreen's memory and energy still stays alive like why don't you want to help her 12 year old son through that I, I don't know. understand and then we see him in a car leaving a voicemail for his aunt and uncle and I'm like can someone call him back I know can Caitlin, someone pick up the uncle, fucking phone aunt, someone call this fucking guy back like yeah. his mother was murdered he had to testify against his father right I'm yeah. calling him after we record this session oh my god let's I'm just call, call him, him. Collier starts writing to his father as like soon after he gets to prison. Yeah. And from the very beginning, Collier is asking for questions. Like literally saying like, why did you kill my mom? And he's he's like, I still love you, dad. Like it's not going to change, but I need you to like take responsibility and tell me why. Yeah. And so like, we also just get the note that like, no one really liked his dad. Like he wasn't well respected. Right. <laughs> he like he was a bad guy. He was yeah. also a womanizer. And so like Collier, back to Collier on the stand, he's talking about running in. Like little Collier, kid Collier, runs into Sherry, the oh new my girlfriend. God. On Father's Day of all days. So I was trying to figure out if this was after his mother was murdered or before, but his dad took him tanning. Tanning. They went to a tanning salon. Please don't go to a tanning salon. I know. If I you know. want to tan, get I like know. body makeup or spray or something. I mean, Please it was so 80s, 90s. Like, I literally, I had a subscription. Like, I had a card. I could go tanning whenever I wanted to. I know. And we would like go tanning. Like, we're going to go shopping. Let's go tanning. Why? I, know. I mean, I'm looking at you, Snow White, pale as a ghost. I know, I know that like, this does not appeal to you in any way. But did you feel like your insides, like, sizzling? No. <laughs> Is that what happens when you go no, tanning? There was definitely, like, a horror movie where, like, the killer, like, locks the person in the tanning Someone bed. Someone gets stuck in it. And then, like, they turn it all the way up and they basically Is this that and I Know What You Did Last Summer uh, last or summer, something? Probably. Or, uh, or, uh... You know, I Know What You Did Last Summer is not the one where Philippi shows his butt, so it's I don't not. care about that one no. anymore. That no, was no, no, Cruel no. Intent. I know, Cruel... Please. <laughs> cruel Intentions did a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, so, they're out tanning. They're like, out happy tanning. Father's Day, I, I guess. <laughs> You know what I want to do for Father's Day? Go tanning. Like, I hate this guy. Not Collier. His dad, obviously. The murderer. Yeah, yeah, They run into Sherry. Now, Collier's on the stand. Yeah. Hamming it up. I mean. And just, he's doing an impression of his dad. He gets the jury to chuckle. Yeah. It's wild. Like, again. He gets them to laugh. He's, like, doing bits up there. I'm telling you, he's a ham. He is. But they run into Sherry, the girlfriend, and Collier does an impression. 12-year-old Collier's on the stand, just to paint a picture. Yeah. In front of the jury, doing an impression of his dad, who's, like, faking, pretending, having to, like, oh, Sherry, what are you doing here? And when we got there, my dad got out, and he says, well, look who's here. It's Sherry. (laughs) And then I just was, like, disgusted. Well, look who's here. It's Sherry. <laughs> and he does the jazz hands. And the jury laughs, and he, like, he like whips his head, and he's like, I was just disgusted. <laughs> As he should have been. Wait, I, I, well, you have to do this before I forget. Steve really wants us to discuss what Collier's wearing on the stand, because it's the— A it's little, a, like, sweater set, right? It's a right? sweater over a, over a collared shirt. Sure. Which was, like, Steve's uniform. Cute. And this, Steve was like, tell Jillian that my sweater was my Les Mis sweatshirt. <laughs> a sweatshirt? Sure, yeah. not a sweater. Not a sweater. Steve I know. Never change. It's so funny too because this takes place in Ohio, which is where Steve grew up. And there's later we'll see a scrapbook. It seems like my mom had the 
that exact same scrapbook. Steve Tipton, this is your life. <laughs> this is your life. I know. Just going down memory lane. Also, it's like, true. didn't everyone's mom have the same photo album? I'm sorry, I'm not taking that away. Not from mine. You. My mom didn't really do. Oh, photo a scrapbook albums. is different from a photo album. Yeah, this is like the one that they had. Like you, like you put like the report card in the pocket of the scrap. Like, wow. oh, my parents didn't want to save my report cards. <laughs> no. We needed to move on and try to do better next time. <laughs> Oh, but look at you. You landed As on your feet. As an unmedicated. I know. What the fuck is wrong with me, adhd But we got to the bottom of it. But the thing is, during this meeting, this ad, I mean, I'm sure he was like, hey, we're tanning at 345. Let's like <laughs> fake run into each other. Like, what an idiot. Meet you at the tanning salon? Like, it's Sherry's like, tanning okay. Tanning salon. Oh, my God. Sherry, shut up. So, but Sherry. The Rick and Box were in at, at the 315. Lynn? You hate the Rick and Box. I mean, I do too. Like, if you see me, Lynn, I know. cross the street and walk the other way. <laughs> She's got flaming purple hair, Lynn. You kind of can't miss her. Walk. Get out of her way. Get away from me. Get out. Get away from me. I don't even want to see you. You're a day ruiner. So Sherry at the tanning saloon. The tanning saloon. The, the tanning. <laughs> I was going to say booth. It's got those like the, the doors you from the old timey like western saloon. <laughs> the tanning saloon. <laughs> you actually open that. That'd be great. Only we're not going tanning. You no. can get spray tan. Whatever the safest one is. Collier, you went tanning? At 12? I used to go His tanning His dad is just a bad influence all around. Yeah. Sherry, the point is, yeah. Sherry's wearing a ring. And yes. Collier says, oh, Collier, the shade for days. Then um, I turned to Sherry and I looked at her hand and she had a ring on. And I turned to her and I said, Sherry, my mother has a ring like that. Hey, Sherry, nice ring. My mother used to have one like that. Uh-huh. And we don't know the rest of that exchange. I know. I'm like, I would take two more minutes in this documentary if we heard what Sherry, one. what her witty retort was totally. to 12-year-old Collier, who is clocking you from a fucking mile away. I know. So my favorite thing that happens next, Sherry's on the stand. Oh, God. And she does not want to fucking be here. She is, a, essentially, she's like chewing gum. Yeah. You know? But she, because she... She doesn't want to tell us the truth. Exactly. Which is that she gave birth to a baby and that the killer is the father. So my other question for Collier is going to be like, do you have any contact with that? Like, that's your half-sibling. Like, it's like the one person he didn't call sitting I in the know, parking totally. lot somewhere. <laughs> and like, it's not that kid's fault. You know yeah. what I mean? Now we meet Shelly Bowden, who's Noreen's best friend and woman who really needs Collier to move over. And move over, please. <laughs> Hey, hey, move over, please. I know. No emotion. She really, really needs Collier. And, Collier, and Collier looks at her and he goes, so how are you? He's just I like, we're going to go right by that. You just asked me to. I know. Are we having an intimate moment? You were my mother's best friend. I know, I know. And they're looking through all of like Collier's old things and but he always wore like monograms. This is another example of people not hearing themselves because she says they're going through the like, old pictures and there's a picture of him from when he was like six and she goes, remember when everyone used to tell your mother what a beautiful daughter she had? And he was like, yes, Shelly. I do. Thanks a lot, Shelly. Do you want to talk about why we're doing this documentary too? You want to just pour more salt in this fucking wound? And she's like, you'd never even get mad about it. Like, oh my God, poor Collier. Poor Collier. So also, Shelly drops in that Noreen filed for divorce from Collier's dad. Just, I think that's very important. We never talk about it again. I know, I know. But, you know, Shelly just tells us that, like, Noreen was, like, the best kind of friend and the best kind of mom. But, like, you know, she also knew that her husband was cheating on her. And Shelly, like, everyone knew. He left and she said, it's his girlfriend. She would say that, you know, oh, yeah. long before Sherry and long before 1989. Sherry and wasn't any different than any of the other girlfriends till she got pregnant. 
all the girls were the same until Sherry got pregnant. And that's when things changed. And so Shelly, Shelly's the best friend. Yeah. Sherry is the pregnant girlfriend. But Shelly was telling these stories about how they'd be at some like event at Collier's school and the dad would be like, oh, sorry, I have to take this phone call. And he'd like go meet a girlfriend. Yes. And everyone knew about it. Yeah. God. And then Shelly tells Collier, we knew there was violence in your house. Yes. He just, she describes the time the dad picked up the dog and threw it across the threw room. Threw across the room. Like, like what, what a fucking fu- piece of shit. Like, and just like, she knew he was violent, but it progressed to like early December of that year. All of a sudden, Noreen is saying, he's going to kill me. Yeah. And 30 she, days later, he does. She was scared of him and she was communicating that to her friends. Yes. And so now Noreen was missing for 25 days. And then after 25 days, they found her body buried in the basement under the house. Yes. They also just like skate right by that. Yeah. So I think that there's some stuff left out of the story here. And we'll get more from Collier on this in the interview. Yeah. Because I think that it was like a little bit of a mystery. I think that like the police initially did believe that the mom had run away and weren't taking it seriously. But Detective Dave, the one that Collier got really close with. Yeah. Collier has told me that they got so close because the detective was the only one who believed him. Right. And helped solve the case with him. It's not in the documentary, but I believe that that's the story. Right. So suddenly Collier on his journey back home is Everyone, going... we have some very important business to attend to. We are going back to high school so so he can address the show choir. He's giving a pep talk to the I kids know. in show choir. Don't be late. And there's a video of Collier back in the day, back in high school, singing a quote updated for like whatever year that is right. version of somewhere out there I mean Bible. it's so cute Collier because we also learned that Collier was like popular he was class president two years of in a row he was. but was also in show choir that doesn't usually track I love a well rounded very well rounded he's singing somewhere out there and he's singing it like he really means it can we hear a little clip of it Tom Collier. Also, like the updated version with like the orchestration. When and is the album dropping? Please, tomorrow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Can it be a spoken word album about how much we hate Lynn, whatever her last name is? Rick and Bach? Don't get Rick and Bach. Don't do it. <laughs> I also love that he was in show choir because he didn't make the basketball team. <laughs> I feel you. I feel basketball, basketball. Show choir, show choir is the one where like they get, you get like outfits and you do choreography a little bit. Oh, is that right? Yeah, you like like um, pardon me, boy. Is that the chat news? <laughs> yes, yes. Track number nine. Were you? But in... won't you give me a shine, a shine, a shine? Yeah. You were I in show choir? I was in show choir, but I couldn't read music, and I wasn't really good at the harmony, so I didn't really last. Pixar didn't happen. <laughs> Do you have a little blazer? Yes. Yes, with like a top hat. I would love Pardon to see Pardon me, that. boy. It's my official Snapchat request. Snapchat choo Yes, yes. Track number nine. So now, like, fun time is over. We have to leave show choir. Are you ready for a fucking hard left turn? Uh, Yeah, I wasn't, but now I am. Everyone pull over. We learned that two years before the murder, Collier's cousins, these two young girls in Baltimore, accused Collier's dad of molesting them. They went to the police yeah. and said that because the killer is also a doctor or whatever. Yeah. And under the guise of giving them physicals, like, he was what? abusing them. Jesus like, wasn't the Larry fucking, fucking Christ. Nasser? And Jesus. also, don't let the uncle give your kid a fucking physical. I know. That is ridiculous. That's also 
So like again, isn't that a HIPAA violation or something? Oh my or god! Some I, did, I the... missed that. I didn't realize that's what what. Yes. Oh my god! Under the guise of it's all it's in the paperwork. That is insane. Yeah. So there was an investigation. He was yeah. about to be arrested, but the cousins, of course, didn't want to testify because it would be too traumatic, which happens all the time. But then why do we make the kids do it? Why can't the kids just tell the story to the fucking judge? So he got away. He got away with it. I'm sorry. Can we slow down on this yeah. for five seconds? These fucking child molesters get away with this all the time because the kids don't want to testify because of course they don't. Yeah. Why do they have to? I don't know why they couldn't have told like a trusted doctor, social like, like worker, a social worker, and anything. have them testify. Like, oh my God. I don't know. And so the child molester counts on that and gets away with it. Yeah. Like, that is a ridiculous rule that we need it's to change. It's another form of abuse. Exactly. It's like another way that they're abusing these kids. Oh my God. So Collier learns about that. He writes another letter calling him out. Yeah. He's like, I, where's my pen and paper? I gotta fucking call this so guy out. now not only is he, but, but his letters to his dad are also still loving. It's like, I know you're never gonna tell me why you killed mommy. I know you'll never tell me why you cheated on her so much. I don't think our friends and family will ever forgive you completely for killing my mommy, molesting my two cousins, lying, and everything else I might have missed. But if you pass on soon, I want you to know that I forgive you. I still love you, Dad. Never forget that. Also, I still love you. Also, why did you molest my cousin? And he goes, you're lying about everything. And you know, anything else I might have missed. Ooh, burn. I know. Anything else I might have missed. And so this piece of shit dad writes back. He goes, I shall make no further comment upon your mediocre grammar. Like the fucking narcissist he is. I am not, I am guilty of no crime against your mother. Your poisonous communication is more aptly the product of some nearby cesspool. Whatever the fuck that like, means. Like he's just trying to sound like smarter and bigger but and better. But then he tells Collier that myself and my family have disowned you. So, people like this are the worst. Like, for many reasons. Mur- mostly the murder part. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I told you about... <laughs> also the molestation. Like, and all of that. Yeah. Like, for many reasons. But yeah. I told you about a meme that I saw recently. Tell me again. Where it says, narcissists are like, yeah, I hurt you, but now you hate me, so I'm the true victim. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what he's doing. Like, and now I... You're being... Your, your poisonous communication is hurting me so much that now I'm disowning you. And but, th- that now means that he doesn't have, have to take any accountability for what he did. The way that he's acting with Collier just proves the point even further that he fucking did it. Right, but in his abuser brain right. he's making it so like maybe Collier will feel he has to apologize or Collier did something wrong like this is abuser 101 it's like, just it's crazy it's very transparent what he's doing and Collier doesn't fall for it right. he has like a shield from it because he's been dealing with it his whole life thank god but it's just like this poor fucking kid loses his mom his dad goes to jail even from jail his dad's a fucking piece of shit right. and like again if you're the killer's family wouldn't you be reaching out to Collier and being like this isn't your fault like yeah. I don't understand like where is the instinct to protect the child No, not a single adult in his life. I know. Like, in his family. Except for, like, these strangers. The strangers rise to the occasion. Except for that fucking Rickenbach. Fuck you. (laughs) So, Collier, like, he gets this, like, super narcissistic letter, like, poisonous communication, blah, blah, blah. Collier writes him again. And his father writes refused on the envelope and sends it back. Right. So, Collier's like, fuck that. If you are actually refusing my letters, I'm just going to make you deal with me face to face. So, Collier wants to visit his father in prison and read him the letter. But the letter that got refused was from, like, the 90s. Yeah. So, it's been 25 years or whatever it is. Right. So, now, we're back to the trial, right? This is January 26, 1990. And the realtor who sold the killer the house in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is where the body was found, is on the stand. This was bone chilling to me. Yeah. Real estate agent Michelle Barth testified about how strange it was that Boyle should ask her what was under the basement in that new home. He says, if I were to break into the basement floor, what will I hit? What is underneath that floor? And what was your response to that then? 
Why? She goes, why? <laughs> and she's like, also, it's a beautiful basement. Exactly. Just refinished. And he, like, why would you want to do this? And he's like, well, you know, if I wanted to lower the floor. But like, how Wait. dumb as a killer do you have to be? Right. That like, you're going to ask that question. Then like two weeks later, your wife is going to go missing. Well, but. Is that a thing? What? You don't lower a floor. Why would you lower a floor? Uh, I don't know. If you want more basement or whatever, are you allowed to do that? But Who knows? lowering the floor means you're going in. Like, what? So Collier looks at the case file, and he learns that, like, on top of all of this stuff. Hang on a second. Collier looks at the case file I know. full stop. We'll get into Like, yeah. uh, Collier, I-, I wanted to, like, hug him in this moment and say, like, sweetie, you don't have you to don't do have this. You don't have to look at these photos. Like, you really it's don't. the crime scene photos. It would have been enough to, like, like, have Dave, the detective, go through it with just the camera or whatever. But it is it is the crime scene photos. It's, it's all too much. It's, it's, it is too, it is too much. And that becomes very clear. And yeah. I think it's his own curiosity. And if he wanted to do it, like, of course. But it gets, you know, of, it goes exactly how you would think it would yeah. in this heartbreaking way and finally the guy is just like Let, let's just take that file away let's just, well we because what to, happens is this. like they go through like what they found with the search warrant was they found a, a, a jackhammer and like the data about indoor outdoor carpet like a special carpet just days before Noreen was murdered exactly and you- then they go when they go into the house they find that like in the basement where he was going to maybe lower the floor he's built all this brand new shelving and yeah. basically he built all this shelving on the ground on top of the burial site yeah so then Collier has to watch like the video and the pictures of the body being exhumed and then that's when we're seeing he sees those images and then he sees the autopsy images he can stand it for about one second and he's in tears and thank god dave is like let's let's let's, let's just let's, you, know <laughs> you know what like it's it's very no, like even if i didn't know him it would be impossible to watch because yeah, it's yeah. like this poor fucking guy yeah. and like i don't want to make collier sound like a torture he's wonderful no, he's doing he's this you know what great, i mean like but like he's been through so fucking much so much and like this brick wall of a fucking father. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. So, speaking of, the killer's first parole hearing is in 2010, to which I say parole? He's guilty I, I, of murder. I can't, and again, like, and not just, not like, wrong place, wrong time, or yes. like, like a premeditated, he like, killed her kill, on Brutally purpose. killed his wife and buried her body under the floorboards kind of murder. Because we, what we learn is that like, right around that time was when Collier's dad decided to start communication with him again. Yeah. And he's like writing him these sweet, sunny letters talking about how proud he is of him. Him, how handsome he because is. Because he wants Collier to vouch for him in front of the parole board, and he does it. Wanting to be a good son and wanting desperately to move on, I met with the board and supported his release. I went to visit him when I was on that trip, and I was really hoping that he would finally tell me the truth. I was like, don't you not get paroled if you don't take accountability for the murder? And they address it right away. They're like, suddenly his story changes. Yes. So Collier, he just wants to openly and honestly communicate with his father yes. about this. He needs closure. He wants answers. Like, this is this is his goal. So he's like, I'm doing what I can to get that. If, like, if getting his attention and trust is me, like, writing some bullshit letter right. so that I can have the conversation I've been wanting to have for 27 years, like, that's what I'm going to do. Because the dad is manipulating him into he the dad wants him to correspond with the parole board and the dad is going so far as to write Collier examples of what he yeah. wants Collier to write to the parole board and Collier does it he does it and now again it's like what you're saying he's doing it a he says because he wants to be a good son but b the only way he's going to get a shot at a real conversation with his dad where maybe his dad will admit to the at, yeah. like the shit that he did is to also be playing along in this way so he's like playing a game he's playing the game 
against his father. Yeah, basically. but I, I also don't believe that it, it's that cut and dry. I, I don't either. I, I think that he is doing that to get what he wants, but he also thinks maybe, maybe, maybe this is... Because I think that Collier's thought is like, if my dad admits to killing my mom for whatever reason, he says this over and over again. If he's like, because she was spending too much money or you just fucking hated her or yeah. you're just crazy. If he were to admit that, then Collier could see a path to an actual relationship with his dad because his dad is being honest with him. Yeah. And so that's why I think he's going along with this. You know what I mean? It, it's yeah. it, he, All of the emotion lives within him. And so here's the story that changed. Now the killer is saying, okay, yes, but it was an accident. It was, well, yes, I'm responsible for her death. I came in the room. We got into an argument. I pushed her. She hit her head. I blacked out. I came back. She was dead. That's, that's what he said. Thing. That's what he said. He pushed Noreen. She hit her head. Yeah. He left the room. When he came back, she was still on the floor because this head injury had killed her. Yes. That's his big story now, right? But it's also like, that is also not taking responsibility. You know what no! I mean? That is like, even if that were true, that is still not taking responsibility. It's like the least amount you can do to tell the parole board, like, here's some remorse. Is this I, good enough? Is this what remorse is? Honestly. Does anyone like, know? How many times do you think the parole board hears shit like Every this? Every fucking Every day. single time. So... Now, like, Collier goes to visit his father in prison and, like, try to take control of the situation and not be manipulated. Yeah. So, like, they're here. They're here and they're talking to each other. And it's kind of like, it, like, the whole movie's been leading up to this moment and the dad walks in and it's like, you know, it's so funny because, like, if this were a movie, it'd be, like, mood lighting sure. and it'd be, like, dark. It's just, like, this brightly lit, like... Fluorescent lighting. <laughs> fluorescent commissary room that's just, like, regular tables and chairs. Yeah. And the dad walks in and it's like, how is he going to act? How does he act? Like, and he stands up and they hug each other and they tell each other that they love each other. Then they literally start talking about the weather. <laughs> but, like... What else? I mean... And Collier... Like, I, I, as much as he is has a plan, he's nervous. Of course. I mean, you know, obviously. But also, he does sort of come in pretty hot. Yes. Because they go from, like, talking about the weather to, like, oh, anyway. And then Collier's <laughs> like, well, I've been waiting a long time to do this. Like, what the fuck? And yeah. he just really dives in. Like, this this talking about the weather thing doesn't go on for minutes no. and minutes. Like, it's 30 seconds. And then Collier's like, I came a long way. Well, because in his, a lot of ways his be big here. thing is, he's like, Dad, you, like, cut off communication with me. You sent back this letter. I want to read it to you. And this is a letter when Collier was 15 years old from 1993. And I just want to say, the dad is in every exchange, like, of course you can, you know you can read it to me. Of course you know that. Of course I'd be happy to hear it. He's so bullshitting. Like, he he is looking at this as an opportunity to document how sorry he is. Like, we don't have all the letters exactly. of him saying all the other bullshit. Like, wake right. up. Right, Like, we fucking see you. So, Collier starts reading the letter to him. And the, uh, the letter essentially just says, like, why did you send this back? Why can't you admit your guilt. You say you didn't do it, but at the time, you're not offering any other realistic alternative as to what happened. Yeah. And he's like, I can't forgive you if you can't admit it. And he's like, and I'm fucked up about of this. Of course. I need you to admit yeah. this so I can get on with my life. Right. And I love you. Right. He's always saying I love you. Yeah. And so, you know, the killer tells a little bit more of his bullshit story. Yeah. So Noreen comes in screaming at him. She grabs a knife. Like, what a fucking bullshit like, lie. It's such like, bullshit. Oh my God. He pushes her. Then she hits the head on the table. Then he runs upstairs to get his stuff because he's going to leave. Like, this is it. Then he comes downstairs. Noreen's still laying there. Then he tries CPR. Then. Right. How did she get a plastic bag over her head? I put the plastic bag over her head. I put it over her head because I was just. Afraid to look at her, scared to look at her. Not to suffocate her. Not to suffocate her, no, not at all. 
because he was too scared to look at her, not suffocate right. her. Now, meanwhile, to- he, he's saying he put the plastic bag over her head. Dave, looking at the autopsy photos, is like, this plastic bag is tied around like, her neck. Like, fuck you. Yes. It's like he he forgets that like there are things in writing, right. there are photos, there are files. You know, like- this happens to people in prison. Like, we're going to see it in the fatal attraction murder, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, How conveniently a- people forget. We're going to see a lot. But, like, Collier is saying to him, like, A, why did you refuse this letter? And the dad's like, it was a really long time ago. I I don't remember. I just know I was going through a really bad time. I was in a really dark place. I'm sorry I caused you so much harm. And I'm saying, it just sounds like a memorized speech. If this were were me and Daisy, I'd be sobbing. I'd be hysterical. I would be all over her, so grateful that she came to see me. Yeah, it's all bullshit. It's all just a lie. Yeah, it just goes on and on. He denies sexually abusing the cousins. He denies everything. He's just trying to manipulate. Because Collier's whole thing here is like, this is your last chance. Yeah. This is your last chance to tell me the truth. I am begging you, tell me what happened. And the dad's like, I just told you what happened. And Collier, like, has the great moment of being like, I don't believe you. Yeah. And we as the audience needed to hear it. He needed to say it. Once and for all, like, I don't believe you. And the dad's like, I'm sorry you don't believe me, but like, th- like this is just what happened. And then Collier starts saying to him, like, wait a second, her skull was crushed. Yeah. I know this. I saw the autopsy He tells her photo. about the hammer. Like, he tells him about the hammer. Yeah. Yes. Like, and the dad's like, no, it was it, her skull wasn't crushed. She hit her head on the table, and Collier's like, it was crushed. I saw, I yeah. saw the autopsy. You're arguing report. about facts at this yes. point. I mean, it's like it's because exhausting. Collier's just saying, like, I don't like you're in jail for the rest of your life anyway. Just tell me just the truth. Honest. Just be honest. And he even says, like, did you want me as a son? Did you want a child? Sure. And his dad, after a long beat, is like, sure, sure. I mean, dude. And Collier finally is just saying, like, the only reason you want me here is for what I'll say to the parole board. Right. And, you know, this just goes on. And I'm not saying it goes on needlessly because we're with him hoping yeah. that, that he's going to get what he of wants. Course. We've been with him on this journey. He's come back to his hometown. We saw him at the show choir. Yeah. Give the kids a closure we've he been, deserves. We've been through so much in these <laughs> yeah. 90 minutes. And there are parts of it, like, we see him in therapy a lot. And it almost feels like, yeah. I mean, Collier wanted this all to be out there but it's, there are several moments where it's like this feels like it should it sh- I shouldn't be here I feel no, like I'm intruding I like know. that's how personal it is well because like this interaction with the dad ends with Collier just standing up and being like all right, I gotta go. Like, yeah. our time is up. I gotta go. Right. And then they hug. And then there's, like, a mental health professional. We just hear, like, the audio of this. And yeah. it's this woman who works at the prison talking to Collier's yes. dad. And suddenly, everyone at the prison is real worried about Collier's dad's like, mental health. this made me crazy. I know, I She's know. She's like, are you gonna be okay? Uh, yeah, I'll be okay. That's not a, a, so much an issue. It's a hard thing. And, and um, it's just something that's gonna have to be worked through. The thing yeah. is, is not to give up on your relationship with him. Yeah. Oh, I won't do that. I'll never abandon him. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know if he'll ever talk to me again. He will. He will. One day he'll talk to you again. Like, you got to just I know. keep focused. And I'm like, he's a murderer. I know. Who's I know. lying. Who's a narcissistic, abusing, sexual, abusing, pedophile, murderer, piece of shit. I know. And the woman's like, buck up, champ. Like, we'll get him next time. <laughs> and I'm like, is your name Lynn Rickenback by any chance? <laughs> sure. Like, are she you related? She relocated to work at the prison, totally. Are, yeah, do yeah. you happen to know, are, are you, you totally. related to an asshole named Lynn <laughs> Rickenback by any chance, who used to be a principal? Oh my God. Former former principal, full-time monster, totally. Lynn Rickenback. Personification of a burnt mouth on pizza. <laughs> that is like, like the perfect definition. Because it's just like, oh fuck! Like, you know, you're like, God! Oh God, damn, I got Rickenback! And that's it! It's I know. over now. <laughs> and everyone else gets to eat, and you stay hungry, and no matter what you no have, matter- it's not the same because you can't taste anything because you couldn't wait. 
But the thing is, like, as soon as this is over, Collier is back with his therapist, and they're just talking about moving on and forgiveness and whatever. And the, the therapist says this thing that I love so Ooh, much. Yeah. He goes, The irony of forgiveness in this situation doesn't mean reconciliation. It doesn't. It doesn't. Forgiveness is letting go. Yeah. It means letting go. Yeah. There's like a whole theory about how like you don't have to forgive, like you have to forgive and forget to move past something. Yeah. And the idea that like, no, no, you don't have to do that. No. And, you know, like and when you forgive somebody, you forgive them for you. You don't forgive them for them. Of course. You know, you and like for Collier, forgive or not, but Collier's got to find a way to move on. And forgiveness was never really on the table, it feels like. And then suddenly at the end of this, it's just like like you were describing him as a brick wall, the dad. And that's exactly what he is. Like, he's just unmovable. and it, it, It's not real. And the only way to move on is to forgive and let go. And I think the word forgiveness has a little bit of, like, a lot of weight to it. And I think what people mean is acceptance. Yeah. Like, you're just accepting, like, you know, because you're not forgiving him. Right. You're not saying it's okay. Yes. But you're accepting that, like... This guy's a narcissistic asshole. Yeah. He's done terrible things. He's been violent to me forever. And the acceptance of, like, I'm never going to get the words I want from him. I have to move on. The psychiatrist says to him, like, you have to deal with the fact that he doesn't love you. Uh-huh. And he never did. Yeah. And that that hit me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, holy shit. Because Collier talks on and on about, like, wanting the, the acceptance and the and the approval and the appre- appreciation and the respect. And it's never going to happen. Never. never. How about Rick and Back? She's got any of that forgiveness coming from you? No. I don't even think about her. She's not even on my radar. Bye, Lynn. Bye. (laughs) Oh, my God, girl. We did a murder in Mansfield. Uh, And once again, fam, you can listen to my interview with Collier Landry right now. It's in the regular feed. It's live now. We talk about his dad. We talk about the fact that he wasn't believed right away, that initially this was looked at as a missing persons case. It's a super fascinating interview. I love doing it. And again, it's available right now. So go check it out. Collier and Tara Newell are coming to Obsessed Fest. That's right. We're going to do a whole Q&A about the documentary and about Dirty John, which was t- it's Tara's story. They're going to do a live podcast taping. They've got a new podcast called Survivor Squad. I was listening to it before it was ever released, and I love it. It's, yeah. re- it's really, really great. It's them interviewing other survivors like Amanda Knox and so many other people. I have to say their Patreon, I wake up to like 30 alerts. I like know. They have so much content, too. Yeah. They're really like they're really doing good work over they're there. They're so great. So go check that out. Come see us at Obsessed Fest now that we're talking about oh, it. Oh, yeah, speaking of. October 20th to the 22nd in Dallas, Texas. That's right. We have everyone from Wine and Crime to us to Bob Ruff, Bob Ruff. and Rabia and... Rebecca and Crime Runners On and Kevin and... Oh, Roberta from Lula Rich. Yeah, oh, uh, Shana Landry. That's right. From the I Just Killed My Dad is going to yep. do a whole live genealogy thing. She's going to be gonna solving be things in real time. The ladies who host the podcast, Sinisterhood, yes. they are local Dallas ladies. They are amazing. They're going to be there. They are doing... Their live taping is going to be about the JFK assassination. Oh boy! It's why it's it's gonna it's such a great weekend. Meetups, meet and greets, drag queens, drag brunch, so drag fun. bingo, the whole <gasps> deal. Friendship oh bracelets. God. We're making three thousand. We're giving them away. I love drag everybody bingo. who comes gets a copy of my book for free. Oh great! If you buy a ticket, you get a copy of the book for free. Incredible. What are we doing next, girl? We are doing Tragic Beauty Anna Nicole Smith. It's the twenty twenty special. Oh shit! She was murdered. Was she? Yeah. There's like this. She th- that story is so tragic because she was on this like really horrible cocktail of all of these like pills yes. that like all the people around her were just keeping her over medicated yes. so it's like a really really tragic 
pretty illegal stuff that was going on with Anna Nicole Smith, who was like an icon. Who yeah, is, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh my God. All right, well, stay tuned for the trailer for that and our funny and hilarious outtakes. Yeah. And we love you. We love you. We'll see you next week. Go subscribe to Survivor Squad right now. Yeah. And it's not worth it. Just take a second before you have a bite. Yeah. You don't want to ruin <laughs> don't get the next few days. Do like, not get like, Please, box. we love you so much. We don't, we don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> All right, bye. Okay, bye. A white female. She's not breathing and she's not responsive. She's um, actually Anna Nicole Smith. This morning, tragic beauty. Anna Nicole Smith died. Anna Nicole Smith has died. Anna, Anna. Anna, one more time. She might have been one of the most famous faces in the world. Shooting for guests makes Anna Nicole Smith a star. Ba, 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 boom. Wow. She was ridiculed, but there's a whole story. The public doesn't know. People have a perception that she was this dumb blonde. She wasn't. I'm fine. I'm well. I'm here. Every single thing I touch has a story to it. She snagged a very rich man who was near death. One of the world's richest men. Anna never gave about money. She loved Mr. Marshall tremendously. He left her nothing. Zero. actual homes like houses I don't know it's all confusing to me yeah like because you the, the same people who have to figure out if they can lower the floor have to figure out how to like 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 drain the gutters or whatever oh, the they gutters, have to deal with like yeah. roofs they gotta like 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 you know, you don't you know what I mean? Know. Like they, you can't even find the words. Even, why, would you buy, why would you own a house? I don't understand. I, you know what I saw? I saw an empty thought bubble behind your eyes. It's like, where, where are we going? That's a nice, very safe conversation you could have with my dad. Dad, <laughs> tell tell Patrick about the storm drains. I do. I feel like I could ask your dad anything. You could. You could. He loves you. But I'm just saying, if you want to ease into it a totally. little more, which I think is so, you are old friends. <laughs> Tell me about the storm drain. Like, or whatever. What's the storm if you drain? ever, if we're ever at a party and I'm you, you overhear me having that conversation with your dad, I'm just gonna hold my cup out He's for you to refill. He's been drugged. He's been drugged. A lifetime of going to my mom's house and answering the phone and people thinking I'm a, I'm my older sister. Oh hey Sarah, is your mom home? Yep. I know. Hold on. Don't what? even correct at them. At some point, matter. you just give up. You're like, yes, she is. Hang on a yeah, second. Hang on. <laughs> 